Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 2. I'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, we're also going to read from 1 Peter, but you don't need to turn there. Uh, just a few verses we're going to use for our text this morning. Uh, one other announcement that Pastor Glenn just reminded me of is a very important uh, ministry meeting next Saturday at 6 p.m. All of you that are involved in ministries, all the various uh, uh, places of service from parking lot to nursery to Sunday school and children's church and concert ministry, all those who minister in any capacity, uh, this is a mandatory meeting next Saturday at 6 p.m. And then it's also open for anyone that wants to be part of that. Uh, we didn't have a meeting the entirety of last year. We generally do one or two a year. Uh, and so we're going to have one this coming uh, Saturday, the 30th of January at 6 p.m. So please, uh, all of you take note of that. And all ministry leaders, you're responsible to make sure you reiterate uh, this to the personnel in your ministry. Uh, Hebrews 2 is where we're going to read from in a moment. I have to try. To communicate something that is difficult to communicate. It's very challenging to fully and accurately express. I'm going to need all the ability that I have as a preacher. But more than that, I'm going to need the anointing of God. And along with that, I'm going to need your undivided, undistracted attention. This morning, I have made uh, an effort in our Sunday school series on the tabernacle in the wilderness to communicate uh, this that I want to minister on this morning. And this sermon and this service is going to be devoted to trying to enhance and trying to accurately express the most important of subjects. It is both a fearful subject, or at least it needs to be, and it is also an encouraging and a very hopeful subject. It is one of the great themes of the Bible from beginning to end, and it may be one of the least understood and least appreciated and one of the things that we don't think of and have a tendency to ignore. It's not as much a part of our prayer life as it should be. It's not a part of our thought life, our meditative life, as it should be. So Isaac Newton was a great... A scientist several hundred years ago, and as an experiment, he got a mirror out, held it up to the sun, and then looked at it. Of course, that was a mistake, because the brightness of the sun reflecting off the mirror into his retina temporarily blinded him, even after he hid for three days in the darkness, uh, still that bright spot would appear before him. He, 
said, I used all means to divert my imagination from the sun. But if I thought upon the sun, I presently saw the picture of it, uh, though I was in the dark, uh, and the brightness of it uh, would appear before me. If he had stared into that image of the sun reflected into the mirror a few moments longer than he did, he could have and maybe would have permanently blinded himself. The chemical receptors that govern eyesight cannot withstand the full force of unfiltered sunlight. Jesus said, I am the light. And there's a powerful parallel in Isaac Newton's experiment that helps to illustrate what the children of Israel ultimately learned from their wanderings in the wilderness and having access, at least to some degree, to the presence of God, the high priests, to the actual presence of God. They attempted to live with the Lord of the universe visibly present in their midst. But in the end, even among the high priests, uh, of all the hundreds of thousands uh, who left and fled Egypt, uh, only two survived. Only two. Someone said, if you can only or barely endure candlelight, how can you gaze at the sun, the fullness of God's glory And holiness in heaven, the Bible says that God is going to be the sun. There'll be no need for the sun or the moon. The holiness of God is what I'm talking about. It actually should be the dominating feature of your spiritual life. The holiness of God which is manifest to us as a result of His presence. Someone said that holiness does not consist of mystic speculations, enthusiastic fervors, or uncommanded austerities. It consists in thinking as God thinks, willing as God wills, and being as God is. Our first text is Hebrews 2.14. Pursue peace with all people and pursue holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. And then First Peter says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. There you have it. If you are not that... You'll not make heaven your home. If that is not your pursuit, if you're currently wallowing in compromise or anger or unforgiveness or disobedience or rebellion and are not in pursuit of God's holiness being realized in your life, that is the essence of what it means to be a Christian. It is the pursuit of holiness. And Hebrews puts it in a very clear context. Pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. 
the objective of our salvation and conversion is the reproducing of God's holiness in our lives. And that, of course, is a very tall order. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather together today and learn of you. Establish your light in our midst. Establish your presence in our midst. The brightness of your glory and your holiness, Lord, touch our lives. Bring us to conviction. Bring us to these altars in brokenness and surrender, O God. And let every vestige of our uncleanness be washed away this morning, only to be left with your holiness in our lives. So let's talk about this call to holiness. If being holy is the objective, because as that scripture says, be holy as the Lord is holy, we need to know what it is. And some of you may think that it is an impossible ideal. You may think, I'm human. I mess up, I make mistakes, I'm unclean, I sin. Therefore, holiness as God is holy is an impossible ideal. Well, if your assertion is correct, then why would the Bible advocate be holy as He is holy? If it is, as you assert, an impossible ideal. That's how a lot of us think of holiness. God is and we can never be. In our best moments, we certainly don't think of ourselves in that light. Nobody runs around looking in a mirror thinking, uh, holiness, that's what I think of first when I look at myself in the mirror. Is this a command? Be holy as he is holy? Do you think? What if it is? Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. Those are stated in the context of commandments of which we live our lives under the authority of. This verse is stated, be holy as the Lord is holy. Hebrews says, without a pursuit of holiness and without the achieving of holiness, you're not going to see God. The word means, the word be, of be holy, means to become, to exist as, to be made or to come into existence. The word holy, be holy, you and I, as he is holy, God, it's the same word. It means sacred, blameless in a moral sense, consecrated, sanctified, and separated Is God commanding you be as I am? Be holy as he is holy, without which you're not going to see God unless you pursue that. Is aspiring to the holiness of God a legitimate and achievable goal? Is it not a commandment? Not only is it those things, but it is stated in the context 
of a commandment. We live under the authority of commandments. When you get in your automobile, you live under the authority of all the laws that govern driving a vehicle. Speed limits, using your turn signal, when to change lanes, stopping at a red light, a stop sign, a yield sign. All of those things, we live under the authority because they are stated as law and commandment. And as believers and Christians, we live under God's authority, and our lives are defined by certain and various commandments, be holy as I am holy, without which the pursuit of holiness, rather, you will not see God. Both of these letters were written many, many years after Pentecost, after the Resurrection, the excitement of the birth of the early church, the first infilling of believers with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the initial revival where 3,000 and then 5,000 are getting saved, and then churches are planted all around Asia and Europe. Now, 20 plus years down the road, persecution has arisen. Christians are beginning to rethink their commitment and their faithfulness because now it is costing them so much and many of them were not a part of that initial revival. Compromise has begun to creep in. People are intimidated to identify with Christ. Their lives are being subjugated by other interests other than pursuing God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And this is always going to be the challenge for believers. It's intimidation and seduction. Either the devil will try to instill fear so that you won't make a stand for God, or he will try to seduce you by waving banners and ringing bells and drawing your attention away from the things of God so that you devote yourself to the temporal, to the material, to the secular. Nothing has changed as far as the devil's strategy. And so in this era of Hebrews and First Peter, many believers are beginning to ask, why do I live the way I do? Is it necessary? Do I really have to pray, make a stand, be a witness, be in church, be on outreach, uh, uh, be involved? Do I really? They're, they're beginning to rethink this, as many people do. Why identify with Jesus uh, to the degree uh, if I'm going to be ostracized? Uh, why dedicate myself uh, if I'm going to be mocked uh, and ridiculed? Uh, why serve God if I'm going to have to pay a high price uh, and make sacrifices? Uh, why should I be involved in ministry? Uh, why should I make a stand uh, in my class uh, uh, before everybody if I'm going to be mocked and ridiculed uh, and ostracized? Uh, why should I pay such a high price? The answer to those questions is a two-word answer, be holy. This is a critical issue for every believer. It's not perfection. That's not what holiness is. It's not a feeling. 
I'm perfect, I don't sin, therefore I'm holy, or I feel holy, therefore I'm holy. It's not those things, nor is it an impossible ideal. And I think the most important thing about holiness, what it is not, that we need to understand is that holiness is not just righteousness, right doing, or even obedience. People think, well, if I don't sin, if I obey God, therefore I must be holy. What more can I do to achieve holiness than that? Maybe you can't point to any overt, radical type of sin. You're trying your best. You do sense and feel God's presence. You know you have a relationship with Him. But the reality is that holiness goes much deeper than anything that can be seen on the surface. The word holy or holiness, as it pertains to God or us, uh, is found nearly 600 times. I think it's 588 times uh, in the Bible. The word is used in nearly every book uh, multiple times over and over again. Uh, This word, this revelation, this ideal, uh, and this idea of holiness uh, and God's purity uh, and God's integrity and God's character and God's virtue uh, and God's perfection. Now, we understand that. He is holy. He is set apart. He is not like us. He had opportunity to sin and never did. He had opportunity to be unclean and never was. Holy, perfect, pure, and righteous. And so we easily gravitate to the idea that Jesus, God the Father, they are holy. They are perfect. The word actually means, one of the definitions of the word holy means the one. Referring to God, it's all about God. Without Him, there is no holiness. You and I can't produce holiness in and of ourselves, as we're going to learn momentarily. There's a practical way of trying to communicate what holiness is to you. And it has to do with three things. First of all, it has to do with fear and reverence. It begins with a spirit and an attitude of heart and a disposition of soul before any action is taken. You can obey God. You can be in church. You could tithe out of religious duty, even out of pride, any number of reasons Without any fear, there are people, Christians, believers, they no longer have a fear of God, a reverence of God. They're no longer very careful about how they live, what they say, and what they think. We get very careless when we have no fear and reverence of God. Far too many of us develop over time a casual Compromising attitude, no fear of God, hence uh, compromise becomes attractive. Disobedience is no big deal. Unfaithfulness, uh, not a problem, because we lose our fear of God. This is the premise of relationship with Him. God is going to be taken seriously by us or not at all. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He takes second place to no one or anything. You're not going to profane Him. Take a casual, take it or leave it, arbitrary, me-first approach and expect to be holy. You have to fear Him for holiness to be reproduced. You have to have a, a, referen- a reverence, uh, meaning uh, that it affects us so profoundly. Uh, we think about uh, what we say, the actions that we take, how we live our lives. We do it carefully. In the book of Exodus chapter 19, there's great drama playing out as these people are learning about God's presence. And the Lord said, go down and warn the people lest they break through the g- and gaze at the Lord. And many of them will perish. Also, let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. But Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai. For you warned us, saying, Set bounds around the mountain, consecrate it. Then the Lord said, Away, get down, and then come up. You and Aaron with you, but do not let the priests or the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. There's reverence. There's a fear. God is holy, and He's not going to be taken seconds to anyone or anything. You're not going to be able to have a relationship with God that is a take-it-or-leave-it or a casual relationship. We are handling sacred and holy things, not the least of which is our relationship with God, our ministry, our calling, His church. Remember Uzzah. They decided they were going to transport the Ark of the Covenant. Too much trouble, uh, uh, you know, with the poles and putting it on the shoulder and then walking. Uh, It'll be a lot easier if we just throw it uh, in the back of a pickup truck. That's essentially what they did. They put it on the back of a cart uh, and they surrounded it, the priest did, and then they uh, began to transport it and then the cart began to wobble uh, because of the roughness of the road. uh, And Uzzah put his hand on the Ark. He's lost his sense of reverence, of holiness. He's lost his sense of the sacred. He has no fear of God. This is just a piece of furniture in the back of the pickup truck. And he he profaned it and treated it as something common and normal and ordinary. And he lost his life as a result of it. God won't have it. Aaron's sons were charged with putting the recipe together to burn incense before the Lord. It was a very precise uh, recipe uh, of different herbs that produced a particular odor uh, that was to be burned on the altar of incense inside the holy place. We're learning about that in our Sunday school. Uh, and they decided, uh, hey, let's just throw a little of that and a little of this. Uh, this stuff's too expensive, too much of a hassle to go get it. And so the Bible says they offered strange fire before the... Didn't think it mattered. Didn't think it was any big deal. Didn't think God was serious about what He said in His word about how the, uh, uh, the incense needed to be put together, and the Bible says uh, that they also perished before the Lord. Holiness also involves, and this is what I'm going to devote the rest of my message to, separation. It's about ownership, really. What do you own? And more importantly, what does God own. What is it about and around your life that God owns? That's the question that has to be settled here. 
The problem is we treat what God owns as though we own it. This is what separation means. Something that is holy is treated as though God owns it. It is not our own. The tabernacle that we're learning about, all the furnishings, all the vessels, they were to be holy. You didn't take uh, uh, the cups and the bowls uh, and the table of shewbread home at night and set it up in your living room uh, and then use them for a common, ordinary purpose. Uh, they were anointed for special use. Uh, God owned them. They were separated. Uh, they were set apart only to be used uh, in worship uh, of the tabernacle. Remember King Belshazzar of Babylon, uh, uh, when he wanted to uh, have a big party, uh, the Bible says that he got all the furnishings uh, uh, and the goblets and the uh, cups uh, that had been taken out of the temple of Jerusalem, uh, and they poured wine, and they had a drunken party, uh, and the Bible says uh, that God brought a judgment upon him because he went too far. He profaned something that was sacred. God is jealous over holy things, that which belongs to him and how you treat it. If I borrowed your pickup truck, let's say, There's an understanding, isn't there? You own it. I don't own it. But let's say I borrow it. I've got to move some things. And you say, sure, here's the key. You expect me to treat it like you own it, right? So what if I gave it back to you the later that afternoon and it had a big Oakland Raiders decal on the back window? And then it had a vote for Hillary bumper sticker on the back bumper. And then it had some stuff hanging from the mirror in the middle. And some of my personal items in the glove box. You would be offended. You would say, what are you doing? That truck is not yours. You have treated it like it belongs to you. It isn't yours. I would be expected to turn it back to you. Exactly the way that I found it, because I don't own it, you do. We'll get to more of that in just a second. We need to talk about the expression of holiness in your life. This will make this subject live for you today. This is how we go about expressing holiness. Again, you're not going to be able to express holiness by living a mistake-free and perfect life. You're going to make errors. But this is about how holiness is actually expressed. And again, before it is anything outward that we do, it's an inner disposition. It's an attitude. It's a spirit. And of course, what's on the inside of your heart determines what is on the outside. I want you to consider the word profane or profanity. Now, you think of profanity as a cuss word, and it certainly applies to that. But the word profane in the Bible is the opposite of holiness. It would be me taking your truck, putting an Oakland Raiders decal, a vote for Hillary bumper sticker, filling the inside with uh, discarded trash from a fast food meal, taking it out four-wheeling, getting it all muddy, and then dropping it off in your driveway just like that. 
That's profane. That's treating something that belongs to you as though it belonged to me. And, of course, this begins with a relationship with God. Something so sacred as a relationship with God. Something that is characterized by holiness and by reverence. Something so special and so very unique. Should we not be very careful and be on guard and do everything we can to protect? Not compromise. You know, valuable things are fragile. Valuable things become targets for people that have evil and wicked intentions. Most things in life that are valuable are like that. They're fragile. They are perishable. They have to be guarded and taken care of because they will be assaulted. And the Bible describes the devil and Satan as a thief whose objective is to take from you that which is most valuable. The crown jewels are located in the Tower of London. This is actually uh, not a tower, but it's a castle on the banks of the Thames River. It's a beautiful edifice built in 1000 uh, A.D., and they have there the crown jewels. This is hundreds of years of royal jewelry. The Star of Africa is there. It's a diamond the size of my fist. There are crowns and jewels. It is in a concrete bunker, underground, bomb-proof, theft-proof, fire-proof, surrounded 24-7 by armed guards because these are considered so very valuable. Now, once your relationship with God is in place, and you're protecting it and guarding it with all your heart, there are certain things about and around your life that God claims ownership of. And we can only handle them correctly if we accept Him as the owner. And there are three things that are in that category. The first is the Sabbath. A day separated to honor God. Remember, we're talking about something that belongs to God. The day is His day, not your own. You don't treat it as a day that belongs to you. You don't view it like you view Monday or Friday or Saturday night. It is a day separate. That God claims ownership, and this is not just an Old Testament uh, uh, requirement that is now New Testament legalism. It is a principle that when the profaning of the Sabbath begins to be the practice of your life, you're beginning to drift in reverence and holiness in your relationship with God. Listen to what John wrote. This is toward the very end of the Bible in the book of Revelation. He's on a desert island where one day runs into the next. He's in a very secular 
circumstance and situation. There are no church services uh, uh, being held. There is no idea like we have today that Sunday is Sunday. And he wrote these words and said, I, John, uh, both your brother and companion uh, in tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, uh, was on the island that is called Patmos uh, for the word of God and for the testimony of Christ. Uh, I was in the Spirit uh, on the Lord's day. So John deemed that day as belonging to God. It was not just another day. It happened to be this day, the day of worship, the first day of the week. He said, I was on the Spirit on the Lord's day. That denotes in his mind that God owns this day. It's the Lord's day. He knew what day it was and that that day belonged to God. Exodus 20 verse 8 says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. How do you keep it holy? You keep it holy by recognizing that God owns it. It's not your day to put your Oakland Raiders decal on the back window of it to impose your will, your purpose, your idea, your agenda. It is a day that belongs to God. And if he didn't claim ownership of the day, we wouldn't give him one. All through the Old Testament, the bellwether of healthy spiritual life was when Sabbath was recognized as belonging to God, set apart from secular activity. When Nehemiah came back from a visit to Jerusalem, or rather to Babylon, he went back to Jerusalem and he found that they were doing business. There were traders and merchants throughout the streets of Jerusalem on the Sabbath and he got upset. He threw them out and he wouldn't even let them wait outside the wall. He said, I don't want to see you anywhere near the walls of this city on the Sabbath. It's not a day that you're going to transact any business. It's a day that God owns and we are reverencing him on that day. It's not your day. When they drifted from God, they secularized the Sabbath. It became a day of business, a day of recreation, a day of trade, and that's what's happened today. And it's hurting the church because people are scattered on Sunday doing who knows what. It's another day to work, it's another day to recreate. It's another day to use for our purposes. I realize that some people work on Sunday. It's how our culture, how our society is structured. But what bothers me is that those who work on Sunday have no conviction. Oh, got to be at work today, no problem. If I was you, this would be me. You don't have to do what I do. Nobody has to do a thing. You could all get up and leave right now, as a matter of fact. Nobody has to do anything I say. But since I've got your attention now, I would make every effort not to do that. When my wife and I were raising our children, and I know this is horrifying to you, uh, we did not allow them when they came of age and got jobs uh, while they were living under our roof. Uh, they could not have a job where they had to work on a Sunday or even a Wednesday. You want to do that? You do it on your own time. Is that practical and realistic? That's for you to decide. I'm just trying to bring some conviction to your life about what God sees as that day is for. Listen to what Isaiah says. Listen very carefully. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, 
from doing your pleasure on my holy day. And call the Sabbath a delight. The holy day of the Lord is honorable. And you shall honor him. Not doing your own ways on that day, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And I want to say to you parents, you better be very careful about this. If you profane the Sabbath and don't make it the highest of priority and set that example for your children, they won't, they'll, they'll follow in your footsteps. You take vacation. And on vacation, I mean, when we take vacation, I mean, we're taking vacation from work. We're taking vacation from the beauty of El Paso, the weather of El Paso. We're also taking a vacation from God. And so then Sunday just becomes another day to ski and to, and to jet ski and to, uh, you know, go down to the beach. No prayer on that day. No, 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 no conscious about it. That we're going to get a hold of God today. We're going to find a church to go to. We're going to live stream the service from the door. This is for the parents to set the example. This day belongs to God. It is an attitude that we have towards something that God owns. The second is the tithe. Very touchy when you talk about money and ownership. Not so much around here because this church has a culture of giving and obedience to God and liberality and tithing and such things. But the Word of God is very clear about money and about 10% of it. The Bible says He actually owns it all. He allows you to use 90% discretionarily for your needs, but He does not permit you and expects you to treat it as solely belonging to Him, the tithe, the 10%. He lays claim to that. He owns it. You do not have His consent to use it as though it was your own. Leviticus says, All the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree is the Lord's, it is holy unto the Lord. And so it is as we assert and as we say that tithing is not actually giving. Giving is offerings besides. It says that in the book of Malachi, tithing is just simply returning to God what belongs to Him. If I loaned you my pickup truck or you borrowed a vehicle, you would be expected to take that and, and give it back. But it's not giving. You're just returning what doesn't belong to you and putting it in the hands of the one who does own it. So you treat the tithe with reverence and with care because it belongs to another. You don't impose your will on it. You don't put your Oakland Raiders decal in the back window of it. You treat it with care and with reverence. And you set it aside as belonging to another. When you keep it for yourself, it becomes a curse. Jericho, the first city that the children of Israel uh, came upon after 
crossing the Jordan River, the first city they were to conquer, is known as a tithe city because God said all the wealth and all the value is to go to be given to God. And so when Achan starts walking through the streets of Jericho, and he sees the wealth and the beauty and the silver and the gold and the tapestry. He starts viewing it as his own. We are a conquering army. This stuff is just here for the taking. And he took possession of it, cursing himself and cursing the children of Israel until that sin was exposed and judged. He hid it in his tent. Where are you hiding God's tithe? Where is it? In a bank account? In your automobile? At the electric company? Where is God's tithe right now? You can think of 90% of your money is yours. When you think of 100% is yours... Then tithing is a nuisance, it's a tax, it's legalism, it's unwelcome, and we think of it as, well, optional. If I can, I will. If I can't, I won't. Malachi makes it clear and says, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, but you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, you are therefore cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. You can't rob something that you own. You can only take and rob something that doesn't belong to you, which is the tenth. The ten percent, God owns it, and when it comes into your hands, it needs to be viewed as not belonging to you, belonging to God, and keeping it sacred and holy. This is how, again, holiness is expressed in your life when you treat what God owns as he, as though he owns it. That's holiness. The third area, the Sabbath, the tithe, and then your body. Your body, the Bible says, is not your own. It all belongs to God. And your body, the Bible says, is the temple of the Lord. What are you doing to profane your body? And there are so many egregious violations when it comes to this. Well, we think my body is my own. And so I'm tattooing it. I'm piercing it. I'm pouring poison into it. I'm inhaling poison. I'm snorting poison. It's my body. I can prostitute my... I can do whatever I want because it's my body. That's why there's so much self-destruction. When it comes to the physical body today, so much mutilation when it comes to the physical body today because we view it as our own. You can mutilate. If you own a vehicle, you paid for it, you got the title, you can take a sledgehammer to it, you can put whatever bumper, you can do whatever you want with it because you own that body. You can tattoo it, you can pierce it, you can do whatever you want, but not with your physical body. It's an incredible gift that God has given us to inhabit while we live on earth. And as a matter of fact, the Bible identifies your body as the temple of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. 
Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Glorify God, therefore, in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You are to reverence your body. Care for your body. Because it's the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we reverence it because it belongs to God and not to us. So let's talk about this idea of being holy. What's our problem with this whole idea of holiness? The problem is we know that God doesn't have to try to be holy. He is holy by nature. We are not that. We are unholy by nature, as a matter of fact. By nature, we are sinful. By nature, we are compromising. We are profane. By nature, we treat nothing as sacred and holy. Everything is to be taken possession of, treated as our own. Violated. Ephesians says, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, uh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh into the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, just as others. So how can, then, a holy God have anything to do with us? Because the two don't go together. Holiness and unholiness, pure and impure, clean and unclean, they don't seem to go together. When you're clean, you don't want to be embraced by someone who's unclean, like your husband when he comes home from work. Marie Antoinette, when she would be driving through Paris, she would instruct her driver not to drive through the slums of Paris. She was the queen, and she didn't want to come in contact with riffraff or unclean people. Isaiah comes into God's presence, and he's ashamed. He feels his uncleanness and his unworthiness. And he said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of glory. So how do we bridge the gap is my question here. What does Isaiah do about his plight? He recognizes I'm unclean and I'm a man of unclean lips. We recognize that we are impure. So what do we do about that fact? Well, you see, this is part of what Jesus Christ has done for us. It is His holiness, given to us, imparted unto us, we become the stewards of that that makes us acceptable before God. We're learning in our Sunday school series on the tabernacle in the wilderness once a year. The high priest would make a sacrifice, put blood on the horns of the altar of incense, and go into the holy of holies. On behalf of the sins of the people. And it was written on his breastplate, part of the garment that he wore, 
was a breastplate that said holiness to the Lord. He had been to the altar in the courtyard, made a sacrifice for his own sin. He had been to the bronze laver and washed himself from all impurity. Then he stepped into the Holy of Holies and made another sacrifice at the altar of incense. And then he went into the Holy of Holies. And that made it possible, his presence at the ark, holiness to the Lord, having made sacrifice, made it possible for God to look on his people as holy. It wasn't their holiness, but what the priests did for them. This is what Jesus has done. By virtue of his death. That's why I say that the subject of holiness is both the most fearful of subjects and it is also the most encouraging of subjects. Because you don't work your way up to a position of being holy. The Bible says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and by the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The holiness that we are in possession of is not something that we work ourselves toward. It's something that has been done for us, and then we become stewards of it. We do have to take very particular actions, as I have described. But that holiness was imparted unto you on the day of your conversion. By virtue of you repenting of your sins, being washed clean, being made whole, being made acceptable unto God, and now he views you as forgiven. The Bible says we are going to be wearing white robes as we're worshiping God in heaven. Those white robes are the symbol of the righteousness of Jesus Christ that has been given to us. We have to maintain it. We cannot and must not compromise it or profane it. We have to pursue holiness, which is the stewardship of the sacred things that God has put in our hands. But it originates from Him. It flows from Him. It is maintained by prayer, by our right actions, but it comes from Him. And our challenge now is to surrender to the holiness that He has purchased for us on the cross. And I suspect That some here may continue to treat the things that belong to God as though they're your own. Ministry, hey, it's my life. My ministry, my calling. No. It's something that God gave you. Your ministry, my calling to preach, is not by virtue of my career path chosen by me, but it's a calling. My calling belongs to God. My ministry is something that he owns, and I surrender to that. I treat my calling not as my own to put my stamp on it and do as I will and withdraw it whenever I choose, but I view it as belonging to him. I live under the authority of that which belongs to God. My relationship with him, my calling, the Sabbath, the tithe, my body, be holy. Start treating the things that God owns, the things that belong to Him, 
as though they do belong to him and they are not your own. Stop profaning what belongs to God. Be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. Let's bow our heads. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to open the altars. This time of year, actually, when we give out the tithe receipts, I generally preach a sermon on tithing or giving or something of that nature. And I have done to some degree, but I really felt the Holy Spirit leading me and guiding me in this direction where I've dealt with quite a few other things, tithing being one of them. You know what the message is today? Get your heart right. Is anything sacred to you? Is there anything in your life that you absolutely treat as belonging to God and you have no right to treat it as though you own it? We do too much of that in life. We do too much of that. Pursuing holiness is defined by that. I tried to... I hope I did. I tried to make it as clear and practical as I could. You want to be holy? Then you have to treat the things that belong to God as though they're His and not your own. That's holiness. And it begins with your relationship with Him. We get so very careless sometimes. We get careless with our attitudes. We get careless with what we say, how we treat our husbands and wives and children and brethren. We get so very careless. Nothing is sacred. Everything is there for us to put our own stamp on. I will determine what happens on Sunday. I will determine what happens with the tenth. I will control my body and what I do, my ministry, my calling. That is not Christianity. Christianity is surrender. Surrender to the ownership of another. We're stewards, nothing more. A steward doesn't own. A steward oversees and manages goods that are owned by another. This should have a profound effect on how you go about living your life. It should cause you, perhaps, at this altar to recalibrate, make adjustments, repent. A lot of profanity in my life. You wouldn't take a wedding ring and use it for a washer. That would be abhorrent to you because your wedding ring to you is sacred. You polish it, clean it, look at it several times a day. It's valuable. You wouldn't use it as a shim when you're putting a door frame in. Because it has very special meaning and you're expected to treat it with great care you lose a wedding ring, you panic, you lose a shim or a washer, no big deal, they're cheap, I'll get another. But yet that's how we treat the things of God. The Sabbath is holy, the Bible says that, not me. The tithe is holy. Your body is holy, your relationship with God. There's a sacred element. And the world today treats everything so profanely. I was listening to Christian radio yesterday, 
They were giving away on the Christian radio a Super Bowl ticket. Well, guess what, Mr. Christian Radio? Super Bowl's on a Sunday. So you're advocating that people don't go to church, that they profane the Sabbath by recreating. Perhaps you're here this morning. You're not a Christian. You're not right with God. You don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But you really do want to know Him. You really do want to be born again. You know there's sin in your life. You know there's profanity in your life. Your life's a mess because you claim ownership of everything. Treat everything as though you own it. People, things, money. And look what it gets you. You're empty and lost and lonely and miserable without hope and desperate in your life. And I wonder if you'd allow me to pray for you this morning. Pastor, I need Jesus. I want to repent, and I want to get my heart right with God. And I wonder if you'd let me pray for you. I want you to do just one thing. I'd like you to slip your hand up right now. Pastor, I need to receive Christ. I know there's sin in my life, and I want to repent. Would you lift your hand up right now? Lift it right up. Lift it right up. I want Jesus. I want to repent. I want to pray. I want to get my heart right with God. Maybe you're backslidden. And maybe it began with the very issues that I preached about this morning. Profanity and irreverence. Taking ownership of things that belong to God. You don't want to live under the authority of God's Word and God's will for your life. That will narrow and restrict. But it's the most joyful, fulfilling, and satisfying way to live. There's no joy in rebellion and disobedience and compromise. And maybe God's dealing with a backslider this morning. You need to rededicate your life to Christ. Would you lift your hand up? Lift it right up. Yes, amen. Thank you. Anyone else? I need Jesus. I want to rededicate my life. I want to repent and get my heart right with God once and for all today. In Jesus' name. Lift your hand and join this one. Amen. If you raise your hand, I want you to look. Come to the altar. Would you do that? Someone's going to pray with you, my brother. God love you. God bless you. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. We need an altar today. We need an altar to give to God what belongs to Him. It's an attitude. It's a spirit. It's how you go about living life. It's the guardrails that determine your actions. Raising my family, certain things we did not do under any circumstances, don't own it. Don't own it. You borrow a truck for an afternoon, you can't take a vacation. You don't take it four-wheeling, driving through creeks and rivers and over rocks. We need to give back to God what belongs to Him. The tithe belongs to God. The Sabbath belongs to God. Your body, your calling, your ministry... The relationship that you have with Him belongs to Him. And you're going to find a powerful change in your disposition when you honor God in that way. The peace of mind, the joy, the victory. There's joy in surrender. There's peace of mind in reverencing God. Be holy. Even as I am holy, says the Lord. That begins by 
treating things that belong to God as though they do and not your own. That's our dedication here at this altar. There are others here. Maybe there's been other matters and other issues. Holiness should be something profoundly on our minds. God's presence, His approval, His help, guidance, favor should be profoundly overshadowing every feature of our life every day. Forget not the Lord. That's said in the Bible multiple times because that's exactly what we do. In the midst of our carnality, in the midst of problems and pressures and life itself, this altar is a place to let Him be the Lord that He needs to be. All standing, altars open. I want to challenge you to come and find a place to pray. At these altars, no singing just yet. You can play. But I want us to pray and surrender and get a hold of God in our hearts. Lord, I cast down all profanity from my life, from my attitudes, from my actions, from my speech, from my behavior. God, I surrender to you, and I long for you above all else, Lord. I desire nothing but you, O God. Father, I praise you, I love you, I need you today. More than ever have I needed you, O God. I desire and I long to be holy as you have spoken, Lord. I know I can't be perfect as you're perfect. I can't be without sin or errors in my life, but I can be holy. I can treat my relationship with you with reverence and take great care to protect and guard it. I can take seriously the ownership that you have of the one day of the week, the Sabbath, and the tithe in my body. You own it, God. I simply surrender to that and recognize that, and I will act and behave in light of your ownership of my life. A prayer of surrender. Oh, Jesus, help us, oh God, let that precious blood wash us clean today. Cleanse us from every profane thing, oh Lord. Oh, God, we are desperate for your presence in our lives, O Lord. I want to challenge you this morning. Because honoring God means giving him ownership of what well, you're not really giving him ownership he owns it you're the one trying to take it and profane it but it means that we have to make some decisions about how we're living our lives let's begin with the sabbath do everything you can to honor god and reserve it for him i understand the dynamics of life the jobs and different things one day is all god asks you go to school you can study, you can clean your yard, 
on six other days you have all of those hours. God only asks one day that you give to him. Is that too much in light of what he's done for you? What are you teaching your children? Is Sunday just another day for you to recreate if an opportunity comes along? It shouldn't be. One of the most profound things you'll teach your kids by your behavior is to honor God on the Sabbath. That's church. That's altar. That's God. That's His day. That's taking care of His business. He needs it in order to advance His day. When Sunday is secularized... The church is hurt. We preach on Sunday. You're not here. You don't hear. So maybe that needs to be a decision. I'm going to do everything I can to organize my life, my working life, my educational life, my relationships. I'm going to do everything I can so that God is honored on that day. That's going to be the priority faithfulness. You should be in both services every Sunday. If you're a new member, a new Christian, and you don't quite understand that, well, it's God's day. Different sermon, different message, different opportunity for God to do something when you come back to church on Sunday night. Will you make that decision this morning? The tithe. There are people here that are tithers. There are people here that were tithers, but now you're treating the tithe as your own, and you're robbing God. can't be holy without treating the tithe as belonging to God. It's His. You cut it away from the 100% when you get paid. You put it in the offering plate the first occasion that you have the chance to. It's honoring God. It belongs to Him. One of the first steps of obedience my wife and I took as Christians when we understood tithing and it was explained to it, we began to tithe. It had been tithers for 40 plus years. Some of you need to make a decision. I'm going to be a tither. I'm going to return to the tithe. I've been profaning that 10% and using it for my own. You need to bring it tonight. And start taking this seriously. Your physical body. Look at all the profane things that we do with our bodies. Not so much you all here in the church, but look at what people do. The drug addiction, alcoholism, the abuse of the physical body the defacing of the physical body. It's not yours. It's God's temple. It's God's house. I want you to stand with me. And we're going to pray, bowing our heads and making these decisions, leaving here different than when we came. Dear God in heaven, thank you so very much for the cross, shedding your blood, forgiving my sin, that I might be forgiven. From this day forward, I'm going to do as the Bible says. I'm going to pursue holiness. Therefore, I'm making decisions today about the Sabbath, about the tithe, and about my body. They belong to you. They are not mine. And I am no longer going to treat any of those things as though I own them.
I will no longer profane the Sabbath, rob the tithe, deface my physical body. I'm pursuing holiness with all my heart. And I believe that I can obey this commandment to be holy. I know I'm not perfect. I'm going to need grace and love and mercy and forgiveness when I stumble and fall. But I'm going to maintain a tender, repentant heart. And I'm going to pursue holiness with everything that I have in my life. And I seal this before you, O God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's worship the Lord. Amen. Oh, God, I praise you, I love you, I exalt you, I glorify you, I worship you, I rejoice, oh God, in all that you have done. Father, I pray that you would seal in every heart, every life, your word. I pray your favor, your grace, your anointing, your authority, and your blessing in my life, oh God. In Jesus' name I pray. For yea, the Lord would say, I am calling you as my own. Do you not realize the price that it took for me to say that? For yea, the Lord would say, you were your own one day, in sin, in darkness. And by the cross, I paid the price, and I purchased you. Because of the love and the value that I have, I want you to be my own, and I will treat you as my own. Only I ask you to reverence me, saith the Lord. Forget not what the Lord your God has done for you out of sacrifice and out of love to make you my own special people and to make you my own possession, saith God. For yea, would you rather have your life, the ownership of it? Would you rather mark your own course and go your own way without me, saith the Lord? You can, saith God. But I have given you opportunity to be owned by me, saith the Lord. Only come unto me in surrender, in brokenness, and I will love you as my own, saith God. Hallelujah. Let's praise Him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to ponder from beyond this service. What we talked about today, it is so very critical and important. Let's come back with our tithe tonight. Let's come back tonight. The day belongs to God. Let's honor Him. And let's believe God for great things. Don't forget, your tithe receipts are going to be in the foyer now, and there will be some attendance there to uh, provide you with that. Amen. Our heads are bowed. I'm going to ask if Rick uh, Reina Sr. would close us in prayer. Thank God for speaking to our hearts today.